Hello. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to episode 13 of Hanks for Listening. My name is Casey. I'm Rachel. This is episode number 13, uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never seen this film. Wow. So I'm going to bend a knee and get out of the way. <laughs> and you can uh, take the reins on this one because you have seen Joe versus the Volcano, correct? I have. I have actually seen it. I saw it when I was young, very young. So this came out in 89, 88, 89? Uh, 90. 90. Okay, that makes sense. So I did see it at that age, and this is another movie where he, like the point's really driven home that like working in an office for corporate America is just not worth It's not worth it. Really? Yeah. It's a very like anti-capitalistic movie. It's like an escapism thing? Well... I don't, yeah, a little bit. It's like, it's a weird movie. It's a really strange movie. And I think if I remember, it wasn't like super well received when it came out because it is like a little odd. Yeah. But it became like a cult classic. And there have been a couple mornings, this movie was on broadcast on like HBO or something and like reruns or whatever. And I turned, as I'm waking up to go to my job that I dislike, I turn on this movie and there's a scene where Tom Hanks is sort of being herded into this office building and it i was like yes like this movie is about what's ha- what's happening you know in my yeah. life so i related to it hits home but i have to be honest aside from that theme i don't really remember the majority of the plot of the film i just know that tom hanks is sort of living this life where he is very um kind of subdued and put down by like this office work and the system that he's a part of and if I remember correctly, I think he is like, he might be diagnosed or have some kind of medical condition. Interesting. And he's kind of like up against a wall in terms of this diagnosis. And it changes the course of his uh, of his life. And I don't want to say anymore. And I don't even remember how Meg Ryan comes to play a part in this at all. Yep. I, if I recall as well, there's like a shipwreck in the middle I think they're on a boat and there's a storm. And they're like wrecked on an island kind I of thing? I think. I think so. But I don't completely remember. So I think this part of what I said is true. And I think part of what I said is me making it up after the fact. I'm into it. That's what this show is all about. It's it's trying to remember what we remember, we think we remember about yeah. the films that we remember. And memory is a weird thing. Yeah. I'm discovering because... And you can fill in gaps and kind of kind of complete the connection just so you can go on with your day mm-hmm. and it could be completely different from what is the reality exactly. and i've seen that like a million times in the first 12 movies yeah so yeah that's all i, I remember. no memory of even catching part of this movie mm-hmm. i i don't i think i'm going to be completely fresh and it's it's one of the ones i've been looking forward to doing especially since i'm watching it with someone who has seen it before mm-hmm. but again i mean i'm expecting good guy hanks mm-hmm a uh, rom-com with a tropical theme. A little bit. You just mentioned a shipwreck, so I'm assuming they kind of end up on an island by circumstance and, you know. That's the part I'm unsure of. I don't know if it's by circumstance or if or if he uh he goes there on purpose. And I that that's the part I'm unclear on. And 
I have have no recollection of how it ends. So awesome. I'm, it's kind of like I'm watching it for the first time again because really all I remember is this very bleak opening. Yep. Um. And yeah, so I'm I'm excited to watch it again and like remember try to remember why as a kid I actually really like liked it even though it was kind of a weird movie. I'm like half a percent freaked out that I might start watching and be like oh, I've seen this, you know, and like it rips a hole in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I always kind of think that because I kind of had that with the bachelor party a little bit. Mm-hmm. Thinking back when I started watching, I was like, oh, yeah, like I've definitely seen this. Mm-hmm. And I'm more familiar with it than I thought. But for I'm like racking my brain about Joe versus the volcano. I can't I can't get anything. What's interesting about it, too, is this is his first time working with Meg Ryan. Yeah, it starts the Meg Ryan Hanks, yeah. um, you know. Dynamic duo. I believe they were just in the the three, right? This one, uh, Sleepless in Seattle, Sleepless in Seattle. and you've got mail. That should be it. Yeah, as far as I remember. And then he was in a movie, which we're not going to cover in this uh, podcast, but he was in a movie that she directed. Yep. Uh, he had a small part in, I forget the name of I that think movie. Ithaca? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's called Ithaca. So... Yeah, I'm just excited to see what the genesis of their relationship was on screen and what their yeah. chemistry was like because they always have had a lot of chemistry on screen, I think, together. Even in Sleepless in Seattle, they're together for like five minutes at the end, but there's something about their connection there that makes sense. Yeah. And then in You've Got Mail, they're very cute. So I think it'll be interesting to see like this movie is like really not a conventional film and they're in it for longer a longer period of time together. Yeah. So it'll be fun to see them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Because they, they're, um, yeah, as far as like, um, you know, ensembles, actors or actresses that work together a bunch on a lot of different projects. I mean, they're they're kind of one. I'd put them in the half department of that. Yeah. They're like a modern day to me, like Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn or something like that. Like but didn't they work together a lot more? Uh, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. 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 And they were like, I felt, I feel like in that time period, there was like a handful of a group of actors that were part of like a star system. So they were the studio system. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it, it was, was about m- the names. Yeah. It was more sort of reflexive that you would think of them together. Yeah. But we don't really have that as much like in the 90s and, and like in the 80s, 90s. And now, now it's just, we, they just cast the youngest. You know, the people. young hotties. <laughs> The acting doesn't matter so much as the the youngness and hotness of the actors. So hot. Yeah. I'm also kind of curious, like, I, I'd like to, after we watch this, like, go back and just figure out how he decided to do this movie and how it was offered to him because he just finished, you know, like, Turner and Hooch and uh, which one was before Turner and Hooch? Big? Uh, the Burbs. Okay. The Burbs is dark and this one's dark. So that kind of makes some sense to me. I mean, The Burbs was a departure as far as a romantic comedy goes. Like, yeah. there's no romance in that. It's it's strictly like a like a local horror thing. Yeah. Turner and Hooch. There was a smidge. I mean, if anything, this is just a full turn into the full rom com category. Unless I'm forgetting some large element. It's not really like a rom-com, I don't think. But that's because I remember it being like almost like a weird... I think it's too weird to be a rom... If there's like a weird version of a rom-com, 
it's it's that it's like a cult rom-com it's like like a dom-com yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I, i know what you mean okay but it is like uh i mean I'll, I just read the IMDb description and it was like, you know, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan find love uh, next to a volcano. And it's like, <laughs> all right, well, I'm sure that was probably going to happen, but it doesn't tell me story. much about the, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure it's a story of circumstance, you know. Yeah. A crazy story how these two happen to have met and, you know, the rest is history. Exactly. But yeah, Fresh Hanks. I, uh, I got nothing. I mean, this is his first movie in the 90s. Uh, I mean, if anything is to of note at this time is just how the calm before the storm, you know, mm-hmm. as we approach this catapult that is, you know, his next couple of years. Yeah. I want to be like super conscious of why, you know? Yeah. Is it is it him getting really good parts or is it him shining with the right director, right part kind of thing? I think yeah. it's the latter. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to this when we talk, when we watch League of Their Own, but I was reading just a little bit about the backstory on him and this period of time with Joe versus the Volcano, Bonfire of the Vanities, and League of Their Own, mm-hmm. they actually characterized as kind of like not a great time for him cinematically because those three movies, these three movies, Joe versus the Volcano, League of Their Own, Bonfire of the Vanities were not really commercial successes and they were reviewed very poorly. Unreal. So League it's of interesting. Their own was? Yeah, so it's interesting because looking back, I like thought that was an incredible movie. Oh man, I thought that was like a really good movie. Yeah. Still do whenever yeah. I catch it. And so it's interesting because like I would consider all three of the, I mean, Bonfire of the Vanities, honestly, I've known nothing. I've never seen it. I know nothing about it. I do remember as a kid people saying it wasn't good. For some reason, I retain that information. So it's it's wild to me because I think he's really respected for these movies that are coming up. But yeah. at the time they weren't. So it's it's kind of an interesting period of time, but as you're saying like after this he does some pretty incredible movies. He does Forrest Gump and Philadelphia and all this stuff after yeah. this. Yeah. So I'm curious how you go from as an actor professionally having films that are kind of like maybe at the at the time culturally like not gelling with people yeah and then you go on to doing like some pretty incredible stuff that everyone loves and you become household name yeah you really cement yourself as being like everybody's dad (laughs) everybody's dad but like yeah is that a director thing is that just choices that he's making how's he getting these parts like are people seeing things in these next three films that kind of make it possible for him to make a more serious transition or like what's going on. Yeah. I'm interested because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we don't do a lot of research as far as directors go and stuff on this, sh- on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we might look into it a bit more as we get closer to that era. Cause yeah. it is interesting. It's more like, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing with me. Like were these directors even that big before Tom Hanks came along? Like did Tom right. catapult them into stardom like Ron Howard and you know, mm-hmm. um, is it Barry Levinson who directed Forrest Gump? Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. One of the two. I think they're, <laughs> Oh boy, this is a big edit point. <laughs> but like who, 
did he help them or was he a product of some good directors? I mean, it's just something to to think about right. as we get closer to this this murderer's row of some of my favorite films of all time and really like the beating heart of why I'm doing this show right now mm-hmm. is like the movies from the 90s Tom Hanks just like standards yeah just absolute standards and we've been able to be more jokey kind of in our intros and and post shows because the you know he's doing kind of sillier movies and he's still like making a name for himself but I feel like as these movies start to happen the conversation gets a little more serious because he seems to be more serious yeah so it'll be kind of interesting like I don't know that I have a lot of jokes during Philadelphia (laughs) and for this one it I think after we watch it I think I think this movie is weird enough that there's gonna be plenty to say afterward but it's interesting yeah because it's even 1990 coming out of the 80s you know grunge is coming around yeah like there there was a shift kind of in everything kind of a loss of innocence kind of thing that's true you know and it's it's interesting to think of the movies around that time and there were some great films and stuff but mm-hmm. i think comedically i mean stuff had to change yeah he might have seen the writing on the wall and gotten out of it because he he's in funny movies after this point but kind of funny by by um kind of funny uh second to its drama like he's he's in a lot of dramatic movies and some of them could be called funny after this but he really abandons that genre altogether yeah. he's not like in a maybe lady killers the coen brothers movie can be considered like a dark comedy yeah but there's more balance to it right yeah. after this like he's not just goofy very yet. dramatic yeah i mean a league of their own w- might be a funny movie but his character is very dark he's like this drunk mm-hmm. he's very funny and, and i mean don't get me wrong Here's jimmy dugan is one of my favorite G- tom hanks characters and of this, all time this brings up something that i think is interesting about him too so in you'll like i feel like you hear this a lot they'll they'll say like that guy's not a leading act like a, he's not a leading man he's a character actor yep but tom hanks is both yep he plays characters but he leads being a character yeah because i don't think that he's a traditional leading man like tom hanks doesn't to me but he is one but but if you understand what i mean like it's just in a different way but he really commits to these characters and he is so like inhabits these like weird people going forward or not weird but just like they're not they're not traditional leading men i don't think that he typically he doesn't play like traditional leading men Mm mm-hmm like Dante's Inferno maybe, but not like, which is called something again. Like I have a short circuit in my brain. I can't remember the name. What's it called? For everyone playing at home, take a shot. <laughs> Rachel said Dante's Inferno again. What, are the, what is it Italian called? Italian artist. The Da Vinci Code. I really can't do it. That's the only... That is the only movie where he plays. I don't know why, but I can't ever remember the name of that movie. It's okay. We'll get there. We're going to try. By the time we get there, like I think it's going to be a big part of the show. And but like I it, can feel like how the electricity doesn't work in my brain around that. 
Like that's what's weird about it. Because you filed under that Dante's Inferno, and it's just you don't. That's it. It's it's written in Sharpie, and like even if you scribble over it, you can still see it. Like why? <laughs> Does Dante feature in that in any no, way? No, it's the Inferno. The third one is called Inferno. Okay. So like you reference it by Dante's Inferno. All three of them are called that. That's it. But yeah, he is a character actor that manages to become a leading man and he combines these things. Yeah. Whereas like other actors are kind of pigeonholed like one or the other. They don't they do not do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because most leading men, quote unquote, just play kind of either watered down or heightened versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like Matthew McConaughey. I mean, he's different yeah. as of late. Yeah, that's true. Like the the McConaissance has changed to Mr. <laughs> McConaughey, but like, um, you could say that about George Clooney. You could say that about yeah. I think Matt Damon's done a lot of work to make sure that you can't say that about, that about him. Yeah. Um, but he but even George really Clooney, go- Brad Pitt, Brad yep. Pitt does a lot of work to make sure you can't say that about him. That's true. But like Ashton Kutcher, Janning Tatum, like they're they're them. They're you're just. You're, you you want Channing Tatum in your movie, you're gonna just going to get Ch- Channing Tatum. Yeah. He's not going to become like Edgar Allan Poe and you're going to believe it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And the characters that Tom Hanks has played are not simple. Like, I would even argue that in Saving Private Ryan, he is a leading character in that film. He's a leading man. But even that guy, that character that he plays, is different enough that he's a character actor in that film, but yet he's the leading man in that film too. Well, it's like one of those characters where he has like a secret the whole time. Like there's some mystery to him. Yeah. Like, and they did it on purpose. Like his whole backstory was that like nobody knew where he was from or what he did. Right. And like, it was like this running thing. So it kind of helped with the character be mysterious and be like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. which is just such a great. Yeah. Not everyone can pull that off and not look like a douche, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I agree. Like Vin Diesel protecting a secret for an hour and a half would really <laughs> piss me off. But Tom Hanks, I'm just like, I wonder what wonder what makes him tick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like an interior to Tom Hanks that like he, he like hides from you, which is what happens in real life. You don't know everything about a person. It's like, what's wrong with dad? Yeah. Though in, you know, in Sleepless in Seattle and in, you know, You've Got Mail, he's a pretty typical leading man. Yeah. But even still, like, there's something kind of funny and off about him enough that it's not, like, so boring. Like, he, like, so I don't know. I I just think he is, like, an incredible, like, he's unique in that way. And yeah, in like the in the next like series of movies that comes up, you start to see how like he could have been, I think, characterized as like a character actor. But there's something that he was able to kind of go beyond that. Well, a lot of two handed stuff. He hasn't really. I mean, Turner and Hooch, he was definitely the guy. Yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of the guy in in everything. But um, he also did a lot of two handed stuff where he kind of did have to be the second fiddle. Mm -hmm. But I mean. He always did something to kind of make him stand out even more. Or mm-hmm. it was even um, even just an enthusiasm level. Yeah. Would make, you know, him or any, anyone kind of stand out enough to be like, you know, they could really, they could do something on their own. Yeah. And 
you know, people clearly saw it. And then, you know, Turner and Hooch um, into this, into, you know, this this run that we're going to be approaching is a result of it. And, you know, yeah, the right people saw the right thing. And if they didn't, we, we wouldn't get 90s Hanks, which is my favorite Hanks. Yeah. He could have had this run of movies and then just like, yeah, I don't I know. just, I want to know that. I want to understand how that Yeah, occurred. it's, it's an interesting, uh, I mean, a butterfly flutters his wings and, you know, Tom Hanks isn't Forrest Gump and then who is he? Who is he to us? Right. That's exactly right. You know, like, he misses one, one film, passes on one script. Who is he to us mm-hmm. at this point? It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, man. Like who else could have been Forrest Gump? Nobody. But anyways, that's anyway. as much as we can talk about a movie that I've never seen before, or at least talked yeah. before it. Do you have anything else? Any other no. memories, thoughts? No, no, no. I just an odd, the one other thing I have to comment on is that I think Meg Ryan is a little bit of a weirdo in this. Mm. So prepare yourself for that. Do you think she's just different enough to stand out to uh, <laughs> to an interesting guy like Tom Hanks? Like yeah. it's one of those things where it's like he sees something like Yeah. I think they connect around their alternativeness. They, I think she's gonna be carrying a lot of weirdness. things at one point and then drop them and like look kind of adorable trying to pick them up. Did I say that this movie I think revolves around a human sacrifice also? No. Okay. I think there's that part of this. Like played one. into the volcano? Yeah. I oh. think that that is in here somewhere. But again, this is like me not knowing if I've added this layer on top of everything. Not Because okay. it's been so long. But I think there is a human sacrifice element to this movie. Like Temple of Doom? Yeah, because I remember, I remember like natives. Oh, and okay. I remember there being wow. some level of like uh, stakes are getting conflict. higher. Conflict, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you go from this like office thing to this like intense like bargaining for your life type situation. Gotcha. I think so. Yeah, the monotony of one to the extreme of the other. Yes, and it puts you know, everything in very like stark contrast. Like, what am I? I wish I was making copies right now instead of you know <laughs> whatever he's doing. Or like. I feel so alive. I'm so glad I. Uh, yeah. So glad I left that shit. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe versus the volcano, episode thirteen. Uh, we will be back with our thoughts. Please stay with us. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to episode 13 of Joe versus the Volcano. We just completed our session, (laughs) and we are ready to hash this thing out. There's a lot to talk about, I feel like. God, I mean, this was all fresh Hanks for me. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I got nothing but notes here. Okay. I broke the notes record. I'm excited to hear. Film. I'm excited to hear what you think because this is the first time, and and I like. I think most of what I remembered is like fairly accurate. Yeah, but there's a lot I didn't remember. So. Man, it's. Uh, I mean, do you want to rush through plot? We'll do. I'll do a one minute plot here. Yeah, and do then that. we'll go back because yeah. I got a lot of stuff about the details. Yeah, exactly. Me too. It opens. He's uh, Tom Hanks works at a dead end job, bad boss, the whole thing. Um, gets a 
a death diagnosis by a doctor. You have six months to live kind of thing. So, you know, classically quits his job. He's approached by a man with this ridiculous um, proposition to kill himself on a tropical island that has a particular mineral on it that he needs. And, like, the people live there, won't let him have it, and, and you know, unless he finds a sacrifice. It's this very strange situation. <laughs> So he agrees to it, um, spends a lot of money kind of going on this trip to the South Pacific, to this island along the way. He meets three women, all played by Meg Ryan. Mm -hmm. Again, we'll get back to all of this. We will. And then uh, he finally gets there. He gets shipwrecked. It's it's very dramatic. He's very ready to die. Uh, he falls in love with the last Meg Ryan. They uh, jump into a volcano and then are spit out of it. <laughs> they are spit out of we a volcano. We back to all of this. <laughs> but they are spit out of an active volcano. The island sinks, and then they fade to black, like happily ever after at the end. Yeah. And it's also revealed at the end that he is not sick. He was set up by the doctor and the guy who hired him to jump into a volcano. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. the story. Yeah. All right. Oh boy! Yeah, so much. Can I can I start? Go. Yes. Because we can go in chronological here. Because yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. All right. The movie opens with this like zombie workforce marching into this very evil-looking build. First of all, this the the set design in this movie was like very deliberate yeah very like very staged very like surrealist there's no real looking rooms no. here they're all over the top yep whatever whatever room they're in or whatever situation the characters are in it's like turned up to 11 as far as like the set goes yeah bright colors yeah. dim colors like his office uh it was very beige and dirty and like green and fluorescent yeah and the like sickly tone to it yeah and yeah. then like at other times there's there'd be a lot of colors and stuff but this has this work environment was kind of gross very gross he's sickly looking he's awkward he's got this long hair long just talk about his hair for me for just one second at the beginning of this movie okay how do i <laughs> How do I talk about it? It's the kind of hair that negates a person's face. Yeah. Doesn't matter how good the face attached to that hair is, you're seeing the hair. It's like a... It's almost like a mullet, but almost. it wasn't quite. Yes. Because it was of like almost uniform length. Almost. But like longer in the back. Definitely longer in the back. Yeah, so it kind of had a mullet thing, but it just wasn't quite like a real mullet. It was too long on the sides and the top to be a complete mullet by yeah. itself. Yeah, it's like if you looked at one end of it, like the top and the bottom individually, you're like, no, that's not a mullet. But like you can see the gradual. It's yeah. almost like a mullet by like one inch when it gets from the front to the <laughs> exactly. back. But it's enough to be like, that's a that's kind of a mullet. It's kind of a mullet. Yeah, it was pretty. T it was like the uh, the Uncle Jesse from Full House. Yeah, kind without of any mullet. of the styling on top. Kind of a mullet. Without any of the part of that haircut that got Uncle Jesse tail. It was that haircut. <laughs> yeah, it was just like uncombed Uncle Jesse. Yeah. 
Like if Uncle Jesse had like a mental breakdown, <laughs> that would be the hair that would happen. He was just super awkward. It was super dark. I mean, it looked like a Tim, like the, it looked like Tim Burton. Yeah. And you know what it kind of reminded me of? Like German surrealism and yeah. all that weird stuff that like Nosferatu, like in the weird expression, German expressionistic movies. It kind of had like an edge like that to it. And I'm kind of talking out of my ass a little bit, but that's mm. what. It triggered in my mind. Industrialism, like, um, it reminds me of, like, those propaganda posters of, like... Exactly. Like a workforce marching kind of thing. And it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of... This this movie is modern-day film, but the cars at the beginning and sort of the dress and the appearance of the people was almost as if it was, like, the 40s or 50s. It was, like, weird antique cars everywhere. I wrote down, when is this? right. Because at the beginning, you're right, I couldn't tell. It seemed very old school. He wore like a fedora. He wore like a men's fedora on yeah. the way in. Yeah. Trench coat. Right. So it had like that weird 40s-y like Cold War maybe. Yeah, like which I took as a metaphor. To this whole movie, I feel, is like yeah. a metaphor. Yeah. And the dialogue was heavy enough as well that they're trying to tell us something. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it wasn't natural dialogue. They were talking to each other in these kind of like heavy soliloquies and it was really... A lot of monologues. Yeah. Yeah. The company is called Akai at... at Akai. No, it's it was an abbreviation for something, but I didn't write A-C-H-I. it down. A-C-H-I. Yeah. But they specialize in rectal probes and in petroleum jelly. Mm-hmm. And the company is literally made to fuck everybody. That's what I, that's what I got out of it too. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're like, they're like on the nose saying like, we're here to fuck everybody. Yeah, which is exactly what they appear to be doing. And yeah. even Tom Hanks's boss, uh, who is a, like a crazy person, yeah, has a set of testicles on his desk. Yeah. That he touches as he's yelling at people. Yeah. So there is like this this sort of weird tone in the beginning as well that like there's a lot of emasculation going on and like a weird like male energy corporate thing going on. And I can't quite figure it out, but. Yeah. It's also revealed early that he was a firefighter. Yes. Which like, which I think was kind of like this, um. Because you kind of drop drop in at Tom Hanks when this really low time, but like, what better way to automatically endear someone is be like, oh, he was a firefighter, you know, and he rescued kids, and like, they kind of give you these context clues that he was like this really brave firefighter. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting ploy to be like, yeah, this guy is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as well because this whole movie could almost be like a case for someone suffering from post traumatic stress. Totally. Because they talk about him being this firefighter and he like goes up to rescue these children and like. You didn't, I didn't even think of suddenly that. Suddenly he doesn't want to be a firefighter anymore because he starts to have symptoms of not feeling Hypochondria. well. Which like propels him into this office job, which is just like going from bad to worse. And then he. Totally. Develops a brain cloud, which we later learn is like a fictitious disorder. But like, but what better way to describe like being psychologically like distressed well you brought it up so uh, that was my next note was brain cloud (laughs) when they said brain cloud i was like did a 12 year old write this story and like design all the sets but i forgot at the beginning it starts with once upon a time there was a, a guy named joe 
and you know yeah. Joe had a job but like the first two screens that you see is like the beginning to a storybook I totally forgot until the end where it says and they all lived happily ever after yeah this is like a children it's almost it is like it is like a big metaphor it's like a children's story where you're supposed to take it all as like you know this means this this means that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah the brain cloud that just seemed like depression to me Totally. And that was, yeah, because he had no, (laughs) what did the doctor say? You have no, uh, no illness. Yeah. He said all of his symptoms were due to his hypochondria and that his real sickness was this thing called a brain cloud, which is like a black mass that goes through the center of your brain. Right. So he's depressed. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's revealed at the end that the doctor is like a quack and like just was, was meant to set him up anyway. But, um, yeah, I I took that as like an as like a depression. Like yeah. you're you're lost. You're uh, there's a lot of soul talk. Yeah, I this. was just I'm glad you said that because my next note was him looking at his shoe and he says like I'm losing I'm my losing soul. I'm losing my soul. Like you that's exactly what I thought when he said that too. I was like, "Oh, this is these are all like on the nose. Like we're supposed to take that as like Yeah. And it was a little heavy-handed in that way, the whole yeah. movie. Like, they really were, like, hammering the point home that, like, this is part of the, uh, this is part of the thing. Um, yeah. So, we meet Meg Ryan in yeah. the first part, too, mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the office. She's brunette Meg Ryan. She had dark contacts in. Yeah, she did. She had brown eye contacts. She did. And she was like a um like she a New Yorker. She kind of like this. She had like she, a baby voice. She was like a New Yorker. What? You want to go out with me? Like yeah. she had like this New York thing. Yeah. Meg Ryan was putting in some work in this movie. She was putting in a lot of work. She lot plays of work. three very distinct characters. Very distinct. Funny because most people just think of Meg Ryan and they think this was like part of the reason her career didn't go the way that maybe she wanted is because she kept getting cast as like a romantic lead but in this movie she really is she's a romantic lead but she kind of like does more character work than i look at her as three sides to the same character i think their point with her oh that's interesting their point with her is that like they kind of i don't know i'm trying to come up with roles for the three of them to make them make sense but I don't know if they make sense. Like the first one was, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would describe her as. She was a coworker. She was like the nice girl next door type maybe. And then yeah, like they are the second one, they? Yeah. the second one was like the spoiled one. Um, maybe a little slutty by default because she doesn't know, um, you know, aspiring whatever, but kind of relies on um, like, uh, her father's money emotionally mm-hmm. uh codependent mm-hmm. uh maybe a little too wild for him mm-hmm. and then the third one was kind of just right it's right. kind of like a mix of the two right do you know what i mean i do and it's interesting because now that you're saying that that makes a lot of sense to me that they're like they're like three versions of the same yeah th- or three sides to, to the same woman but then i also thought of it when the movie ended my immediate thought was that like He's meeting this woman, he's meeting this same woman in in the same appearance three times, but it's like he's getting closer each time to like the best fit almost. So it's like 
people kind of are the way that I was kind of taking it is like people are always sort of attracted to similar types of people and then and then they finally meet one person who kind of encompasses all of the things. Yeah. But it's just interesting that she plays cuz then I was wondering about the relation of the first girl if she was also like a half sister working in this factory or something, or if she just is a separate girl altogether, which it seems like that would have been a crazy reveal is that she was there to set them up from the beginning when they started working together. Right. You know, right. And maybe that was part of it, but we'll never know. It was cut out or something, but it just was interesting that the two Megs, like the LA Meg and the seafaring Meg were si- or half sisters, are half sisters, but long Island Meg is just, is just Long Island Meg. Long Island Meg. That you is know what strange. I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know, but it that was interesting, like that that it was the same woman playing three different, very distinct yeah. roles. And that's when I first started to dement- to notice the color thing. Cause um when he was in New York, there was um they cut to a cityscape when he was out on the date with with um first Meg mm-hmm. and it showed the city and all the buildings were different colors. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like really weird. Like yeah. each individual building was lit up with the same color. So like the skyline was like this yeah. multicolored looking thing, which yeah. I thought was like a cool idea. You see it again in Los Angeles when they're parked. Yeah. And then you see it again on the boat with the third Meg Ryan with the lanterns. Oh, that's very true. Like I kept seeing that stuff and I kept like writing it down and I was like, "Why? What is this? There must be that must be like some sort of visual clue to let you know that he's like Yeah. open emotionally or feeling something with Meg Ryan or kind of realizing that all these women are kind of familiar. Man, and I, you know what? I'm getting closer to it, you know. Because in his office environment, he had that lamp on his desk that had the colors lamp. in it. And then the colors start to appear again throughout the movie. So maybe it's like he has a light. There's like a light in his life. God, like, if you want to keep going, I think that lamp was, one side was a city, one side was like a beach, and yeah. one side was the ocean. So that lamp really. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. There is so much to like digest in this movie and to interpret because it really is there purposely. Yeah. It is very intentional in the way that it like does everything. But that's, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't notice that this time, but that's awesome. Yeah. Um, let me see. I have so many little notes. Well, also one thing that you start to see early that's throughout the whole thing, which is like totally, a visual like reminder to me is that zigzag design. Yes, that was my next note. Go ahead. Get out of my head. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it appears that the corporation, it's like a weird zigzaggy. Yeah, like, it was the corporate logo. Logo. Yeah. And it somehow appears in his apartment. It appears in his apartment. So like his life is is on this windy pathway. But when you also when they open the movie the pathway that the employees were walking was the same thing. Yeah. Like they kept showing it. Yeah. I, I was started to look for it throughout the movie. I only saw it like in his apartment. I'm sure it was in other places that yeah. was hidden. Yeah. But it was this very recurring thing. And it's like, it's like a life metaphor in its own. It's like this yeah. zigzaggy road. It also looked like a volcano. 
with lava coming down. Yeah, you're right. Like I was thinking about, I was trying to like figure out why they kept <laughs> yeah, going back right. to that. Yeah. But I think for a lot of different reasons. Well, and at the end, he says to Meg Ryan, once they've finally been blown out of the volcano. Oh, we're going to get back to them getting blown out of a volcano. He said, I've spent a long time on a crooked road. Yeah, crooked road. And it's all like led me to this or whatever. And so then at the it like clicked for me. I'm like, oh, that's like. It's like life. It's life. (laughs) Life's a volcano. (laughs) The volcano's name is the Big Woo. The Big Woo. Trying to think if that has any potential meaning. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the story of that island was crazy, too. They said, like, a, a Roman fleet got blown from Carthage, which is, like, in the Mediterranean, <laughs> last I checked, or, like, Tunisia or something like that. Yeah. Got blown a thousand miles off course and blew around the Horn of of Africa, Africa. which means, like, you literally got blown, like, around the entire <laughs> continent and ended up in, like the indian ocean <laughs> it's just the craziest story ever it's just to explain why a handful of white people would be there like yeah. a pagoda like and nathan lane nathan lane is there nathan lane nathan lane is like the ringmaster of like um the um, island was nathan lane in a voice in lion king yeah he was timon so he's basically doing an early version yeah of that in joe versus the volcano exactly so picture that I, I exactly just amazing but yeah we'll get to that in a second but on his journey to the to the v- island he has this whole montage where he gets to go like shopping yep and he meets ozzy davis and uh is it carol kane carol the comedian the comedian who's cutting his hair in the salon she literally makes like a two minute um, oh, I didn't notice who his hairdresser was. Yeah, I'm going to have to Google it. But she had on like a brunette wig. Very, very famous comedian. Really? Yeah, she's in it for like two seconds. Oh, well, yeah, because he, he had that terrible hair and he literally, I feel like he went in there and said, give me the Tom Hanks. <laughs> and she just gave him the Tom Hanks haircut that we all know know and love. He has had the same, the same haircut. I wrote this down. I was like, I'll, like, he must have said after he got it, I'll keep this haircut forever. <laughs> Lloyd Bridges plays the the guy who hires him and um, him explaining the circumstance of uh, of what he's hiring him for is pretty hilarious. And you already mentioned like the, the, the volcano's name was Wu. Yes. The the people were the Waponi. Yeah. Do you remember what the uh, what the element was called that he needed for his for his conductors? Boobaroo? I wrote down Boobaloo. Yeah, Boobaloo. <laughs> we need this. It's Boobaloo. this picture of Lloyd Bridges. Like, we need this element called Boobaloo <laughs> to run my conductor doctors. Now, here's the thing. I almost feel like, I almost feel like, and maybe, maybe we should talk about this later in a more philosophical note, but that his character, Lloyd Bridges' character, was doing this all on purpose to save Tom Hanks. Like he's like a guardian angel kind of character? Yeah, like what if we looked at it from that perspective? Because he was kind of dressed up in a crazy... When he came in, I almost thought he was something like that, like a... Like a a figment of Tom Hanks's imagination yeah. or like a hallucination of some sort. Yeah. 
or like God. Yes. That was he like comes God, off. like tricking him because he kind of had like this. I don't think it was a white suit, but it was like a light colored. It was like mm-hmm. a blue, light blue suit. Yeah. Maybe. He's in it for one scene. They talk about him the rest of the movie. It's yeah. like Lloyd Bridges worked one day on this movie. And it was just interesting because Meg Ryan says on the boat like that her dad is the one, right, that says like most people are asleep. Yeah. But then the people that are awake, like the world is amazing to them. Yeah. And it just strikes me as odd that like he would say that but then send Tom Hanks to like through this like trickery. You think he's sending him to wake him up? Yeah. Interesting. That's like from a completely different viewpoint, but it occurred to me for like a half a second as the movie was ending, like maybe he was sent to like wake him up. Maybe. Interesting. In his travels though, Tom Hanks does meet a luggage guy who sells him these four trunks that end up becoming like a pretty recurring device in the movie. He he bills them as being like these unbelievable trunks and that they're waterproof. And then like as he's shipwrecked and the island sinks there, he's saved twice by these trunks that kind of just like pop up out of the water. It's pretty funny. But as far as a metaphor goes, I took that as like luggage like emotional baggage like baggage like oh my god like i really took it that literally at the end because by then i'm looking for everything because it's just like wow he even says like no matter where we go we got to take this this luggage with us you know holy shit yeah and it's kind of I, I took it as like oh like you know this these are our life experiences this is our this is our, our luggage this is our baggage this is like and she our, does say to him, there, it's always going to be something with you, isn't it, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. It's right on the nose and it's right there. And I started taking stuff that way. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, this is just like a fairy tale. I wrote down like like children's story, fairy tale. Wow. Like all that's, the, I, it really, it seemed like. Yeah. Like Princess Bride-ish. Like it seemed like something that was being watered down for a child to to understand the story. Wow. You know? Yeah. He was very zen the whole time. From the moment he learns he's going to die, he's upset for like a half a second. Yeah. And then he locks into this like whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have six months. You want me to die in 30 days? Okay. I thought that was weird. Yeah, he was very like kind of resigned to dying, but like I don't but maybe it's just because he had nothing. He had nothing to do. Yeah. And he had no purpose. Yeah. And I think the idea that his death would benefit others. Yes. And he could kind of go out spending all this money. Yeah. It kind of seemed, but it was kind of weird like cut it short that much. Yeah, exactly. And then, but if you're Lloyd Bridges and you set it up, why say six months? Say one month and then show up and be like, yeah, why, why even make him think about cutting five months off of his life? It's true, <laughs> but it was all made up anyway, though. That's what I mean. So but he if could he have made the, up any period of time. Yeah. If he said two months, though, if you sell him in the one month thing, it's, it's a lot better than selling him one month on a six month thing. You right. Know? I don't know. <sighs> Do you know the story of Siddhartha? I had to read it in college, but I don't remember. Me neither. I don't okay. know. I wrote it down with a question mark because I thought like, is this like a fucking, is this like a Buddha at like a Buddha like um, satire? Like, 
It could be. Is it like a Buddhist journey thing? Certain elements and obstacles, people who are along to help. I'm just not sure what that story's like. Yeah. Anyways. He, there's just so much to talk about. I'm just staring at my notes. I, yeah. Here, there's also like this selection of characters, like Ozzie Davis, for instance, and the Amanda Plummer is in it for like two seconds, like working on the boat. Yep. But seems to have this kind of presence in the movie that's important. And I just wonder if they're, they're their characters have to be or mean something because everything else in this movie means something. So I'm really trying to figure it out. Like Ozzie Davis and Amanda yeah. Plummer? Yeah. Ozzie Davis says some really profound things to Tom Hanks. Like they're in the car in the limo because Ozzie Davis is the limo driver. And Tom Hanks is like, I need to go shopping and buy clothes. And Ozzie Davis is like, well, where do you want to go? And Tom Hanks says like, I don't know, like where would you go? And Ozzie Davis like stops the car and is like, I can't tell you where to go buy clothes because that would assume like I know who you are as a person. I don't know you as a person. Who are you as a person? And starts sort of prodding him for all of these like yeah. deeper philosophical questions that really at the end of the day like do kind of help us figure out what clothes we're going to go buy and all that stuff but it's it's like another thing that this movie is like asking you to consider do you know what i mean i do know what you mean <laughs> it's it's a lot it's like a very philosophical movie but amanda Plummer, i mean she's this might be early enough in her career where it was supposed to be a bit part but she goes on to be in some larger roles yeah so we might be thinking that she, I mean, they kind of cut to her a couple times. Like, I don't even know why she was in the movie. Right. She was in, she wasn't anywhere near the boat scenes for the first, like, four boat scenes. And then she's there when they're fishing all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It was originally just Meg Ryan, two guys, and Tom Hanks. Right. And then she's there fishing, and then she's there to say that a storm is coming, and yeah. then she's gone. And then they all drown. Yeah. She dies on the boat. It's we never very see strange. her again. Yeah. It's just a very... <laughs> Very strange use. <sighs> but yeah, Meg Ryan, I, I was impressed. Yeah, me too. She had a great monologue on the boat as as Meg Ryan number three. Yeah. About her sister and about like her relationship with her father. And because she seems to be the, 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 the character that has like, she has a lot of uh, pride. Mm -hmm. She kind of, it seems like she lives off her father as well, but hates it. Yep. Um, whatever Meg Ryan number two uh, wasn't capable of, it seems like Meg Ryan number three was, but but still wanted the boat and kind of hated herself for it and blah, blah, blah. So he essentially evolved. So he met the Meg Ryan that he needed at each stage of his development. So when he's at the... When he's in Long Island, he meets the Meg Ryan that is a, at his same stage of development. Yep. And and each of the women is just a little bit ahead of him. Like the woman in Long Island, the Meg, Meg Long Island Meg is kind of like, why did you let the boss talk to you that way? You know, and is like super proud of him for coming out of his shell. She's like, before you were diagnosed, like before, you know, earlier today, before you quit, you were like dragging yourself around. And now all of a sudden you're like, you're yourself and you're awesome. And she like wants to have sex with him. And then she, she he tells her 
that he's dying. Yeah. And she doesn't want anything to do with him after that. Yeah. Just freaks her out. Then he meets like LA Meg who is willing to be a little bit more honest than he is about some of the things that are going on with her mentally. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of like halfway between Long Island Meg and seafaring Meg. Mm -hmm. Then he finally goes to sea and he meets like fully honest, fully realized, like fully uh, like adventurous seafaring Meg. And at that point he is now there because he's like ready to die. Mm. But she's a little bit ahead of him too on the boat because she like gives him this whole speech and is also like slightly more optimistic in general about life. Plus she's doing something that character did the most like demanding thing too. When you think of like power such as she captained a boat. Yeah. Like she was in charge of a crew. She knew what to do. She caught all the fish. It was her boat. She was the best fisherman. Yeah. Yeah, and she says she wants to get away from the from the ways of man or the Yeah, she's a feminist. Yeah. She's a feminist character. Yeah. She's kind of leading like the way for him a little bit. Yeah. So it's just interesting. He yeah. got he got the Meg that he needed. <laughs> at the right time. You know. Yeah. But she describes also this feeling of being soul sick. So that comes up again where she describes her sister as being a little bit soul sick. And so am I. And so am I. Yeah. And so that like theme comes up again where it's like these people that are not quite well. Yeah. But it's not like a sickness of their body. It's like in their head and in their like heart. Yeah. Deep. It's uh, it's it's a lot. And like I said, it all, I, I feel like it's all pages in a book that mm-hmm. are supposed to all mean something. And I feel like if I watch this again, it would, I'd pick up more and more stuff. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the island. They are shipwrecked. They're shipwrecked. They're floating on the, th- on the um, trunks. Meg mm-hmm. Ryan is unconscious for some long amount of time. She is. And Tom Hanks has a bottle of Perrier that he's <laughs> feeding her a cap at a time. <laughs> Not giving anything to himself because he figures he's going to die anyway. Yeah. Um, he kind of wakes up after she wakes up and as they are approaching this island, which is where they're going to go anyway, miraculous, miraculously. Yep. And it's this fucking island in the South Pacific. Yeah. That is inhabited by both like people of the area. Yeah. And Italians or Roman descendants. And uh, and like Broadway guys. <laughs> so they love orange soda. It, was that a real orange soda brand that pro- probably bought in and was like a sponsor? I don't know that. Th- what was it called? Like jump. It was called jump, which to me was hilarious because they want people to jump into the volcano. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> So my guess is... This movie is so on the nose. It's like... But what's interesting is the island is killed by the soda company. Because at the end, Abe Vigoda says, my people just want this this soda. The island was sort of taken over by this commercial product, which caused no one to want to jump into the volcano to save their like society or whatever. So again, it's like the pollution of like... Yeah. 
man and all this like modern shit like destroying an island and you just heard her correctly abe vagoda is the chief (laughs) of this place his name is toby chief did you hear that no i didn't his name was toby chief i didn't and i'm picturing like a like an 18 year old toby keith watching this (laughs) in like in like 1990 like yeah all right yeah toby keith (laughs) toby chief Maybe he just maybe he started as Toby Chief and then like his record label is like you can't you can't do that. So they get on the island and like Tom Hanks is like raring to go. He's like, All right, you know, bathe me. Yeah. Uh, there's a f- crazy scene where they're being pampered. Yeah. And then like he's like ready to go. He's like, All right, I'll jump in right now. No hesitation. No hesitation. He just wants to do it. Meg Ryan pr- professes her love. Mm-hmm. I love you. Marry me. They're married very quickly by a pagoda. Yeah. And they they decide to jump into the volcano together, which is like, it seemed like a weird move. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why she would want to do that. Especially, I don't know. Going with him solves nothing. She really like makes the case for just like taking this leap of faith into the volcano. Like it's just one step and we don't know what's going to happen. Is that like a, like a marriage metaphor? Taking the leap? There's a lot. There's so many metaphors. This whole I've, taking the leap thing could really mean anything. It could mean anything. Taking a leap in terms of like living life to the fullest. Right. Taking a leap. Quitting in terms your job. Of quitting your job. Getting married. I mean, he's doing a lot of things for the first time. Yeah. Haircuts. Yeah. But then they jump into the volcano. So they jump into the volcano, and it's like this. Wow, this Which movie ends expecting. really dark. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, they're gonna like die at the end of this. Yeah. That's pretty dark and crazy. Mm-hmm. You see them disappear into the steams of a volcano. Yeah, you know, and up until this point, the laws of gravity have been upheld. Yes, there's nothing to 100%. make us. There's nothing to make us think that we're on a planet where gravity doesn't exist. Right. As they jump in a steam explosion. Some type of steam Some explosion. sort of explosion catapults them while they're smoking as if they're on fire. They look like a meteor shooting out of the top of this volcano. Yeah. Trailed by smoke mm-hmm. as if on fire into the ocean. Uh, holy crap, we're alive. The island sinks next to them. Whole island the luggage down. pops up and, you know, funny part, they're, they're back on the luggage again. Let's <laughs> talk about <laughs> w- what is that? That they that they were expelled from the volcano? Is that like, is that supposed to mean like when you take a leap of faith or if you take a leap, you'll be rewarded? That's kind of if, how... That's here. First of all, it's ridiculous. My, yeah, Can they we, would die. They would be consumed they, by the flames let, of a volcano. They would obviously fall into the lava. To even stand as close as they were by the lava it would be it would be unbearable. The gases would kill them. The gases would kill them if they were hit with like a steam. Like their their skin would have melted off. Yeah. Before two dumbest people. Just really, really. Yeah crazy people who study volcanoes splash-esque and don't even go in the volcanoes sometimes die yeah these people were in a tuxedo and an evening gown total wedding attire though she had like a white dress and he had a tuxedo on 
Yeah, they set the, it up. That whole the whole island thing was like a wedding, which oh man, really freaks me out now. Is that just like a? I think that was a a marriage metaphor, taking the leap. You know, I don't know. God. God. So it was just a weird ending to where the laws of physics apply, like boats sink. You know. Yeah. There's weather. But like now we're catapulting flesh and bones out of a volcano as a, as an island sinks to the bottom of the. It's just like yeah, it just went off the rails pretty quick at the it, end. It really did. And I felt like they just had to do something to finish it. You think there was an ending that they filmed where they jump in and that's the end? I can't. I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine it either. Because. Then the only reward really is that the Islanders, we, we have no attachment to any other out, like outcome. Yeah. My last, my last note that I wrote was leaps of faith. So I, I just think it must have to be this idea that, you know, yeah, you just take these leaps and you're rewarded for it. Yeah. And it's not as, I guess they were supposed to die, but then like by some stroke of whatever, they were saved. And yeah. it's just a, I don't know. I just, I don't, Yeah. it lo- It was just a splash-esque crazy ending. Yeah. Like literally the last thing that I thought was going to happen happened. And then it just kind of left me scratching my head. And then, but then in the, at the very end, they lived happily ever. I'm like, this is like a kid's, this is like a kid's story. Yeah. Or meant to be told as one Mm -hmm. or have that vibe. Everything turned to 11. Like I said, those pampering scenes, it was really like, that seemed like something that should have been animated in like a a Disney movie. Yeah. And even the scene when they're fishing, there's this like slapstick moment where like they're fishing and Tom Hanks finally catches something and it's like a hammerhead shark it's like a muppet <laughs> it's like hammerhead a muppet shark. hammerhead shark it is that roars like a lion <laughs> it's like a rubber i forgot about that it's like a rubber hammerhead just and it rah. roars it goes like rah. right i'm pretty sure they don't roar yeah wrong sound for the wrong creature crazy 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 movie but very pretty at the same time. Beautiful, I'll beautifully say shot. This, if you divorce the idea that a movie needs to like necessarily have a, this movie reminded me very, very much of like old school cinema, like with weird things that represent other things in them. Like I'm even thinking of like Melier, like this old the French guy that like had the people being shot onto the moon and like stuff like that, where it just is like very fantastical and and symbolic and all that stuff. The shot that grabbed me early was him coming out of the doctor's office. Yeah, he gets the news. He walks out of the doctor's office and he's in a suit, and it's really like this is the height of like when is this? You know, because they yeah. show his old car there. Yeah, and then this woman with a giant dog. So he, they're panning away from the door, and it's mm-hmm. set on the left side of the frame. From the right side, across comes an old woman with the dog. They kind of freeze there, and they show him hugging the dog and then hugging the woman. Mm-hmm. It's almost like him realizing, like, you know, life's beautiful. I don't really give a shit about anything anymore. Yeah. 
And then like as <laughs> the woman walks away with the dog, it kind of pans over. It's just like they stayed really far out and it was all this single shot. And then you see him kind of slowly walk to his car and drive away. It just seemed like a, it seemed like a short. It seemed like if you just filmed that and yeah. submitted it for a project, it'd be like a short for like a, like a film class. Yeah. It was just because um, the door kind of moved around and it was in frame the whole time but it was in like a different corner yeah. you know what i mean yeah it's interesting too because the all the beginning shots i would say before he before he quits yeah even when he's sitting in the doctor's office in the row of chairs it's very empty yeah he's at the very end of what appears to be like a longer room like all of, and then even when he's outside of the doctor's office and he's standing against a wall, yep, it's like he's he's isolated in the frame. He's like very very small, and yep. there's all these lines going on around him, yep, that are like making him appear smaller and consumed by like the space that he's in, yeah. And like I'm just wondering if a lot of that has to do with the whole like man-made structure, ways of man, like containment and like that theme that like Meg Ryan touches on like at the end of the at the end of the movie yeah that they're trying to get away from they don't want to return to yeah because like I think all those ploys that you talked about were meant to make him seem just that really isolated even though he's in a city yeah he's isolated yeah he's alone uh, emotionally or literally and those big far away shots kind of exemplify that and then like meg ryan her character wanted that boat to literally to get the opposite of that all the time be on the ocean be literally literally isolated yeah and um by design yeah because the city whether you're surrounded by a million people or not can be a very lonely place Something else just occurred to me with the boat thing. Uh-huh. So, like, this typhoon is coming. Yeah. And she's standing at, like, on the mast of the ship, and there's just, like, this green mist around. Green, yeah. And he comes out and asks her, like, are we going to be okay, I think. And she says, like, I think we're going to be fine. Like, she's very calm, right? Doesn't she say something like that? Yeah. And, like, then the boat gets, like, cut in two by, like, a lightning strike. Yeah. And so now she's lost the thing that is, like, the bond that she has to her father where she feels like she has a price. So now she's free, too, because the thing that was tying her down is gone. Wow. It's true. This movie keeps blowing my mind when I think too hard about it. (laughs) I mean, that brings me to, I mean, would you recommend this movie? I think I would. I think think you kind of have to watch it. It has some really lovely little like quotable moments. Yeah, I think I would too. I think every time someone does something nice for me, I'm going to tell them that I hope they live a thousand years now. May you live a thousand (laughs) years. That guy was the best. The luggage guy was the best. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, I think I would too. It's a, I think it's a, it's a, this is a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I thought it was very good. I mean, his journey was interesting. I mean, I was trying to put myself in his shoes. Uh I wouldn't be as calm as he was. That was the only thing that was kind of taking me out of it was how zen he was about it. Yeah. And how game he was to die, like, right away. Same. 
and they kind of touch on that he had kind of a rough life a little bit a little bit of the fire department stuff and then like he's had uh he just hasn't felt well since he got an office job right and i i i'm into all that but like he was just very ready to kill himself and uh i don't know i don't know if that was supposed to mean something like his eagerness or um because at that point i was like are we supposed to be are we the audience him or is he supposed to represent something or are we the audience Meg Ryan? Like I'm, I'm, I right. was really trying to figure out like, yeah, I think who's who exactly. Yeah. He does seem too eager to kind of cash it in. And yet at the same time, like that's what allowed him to go do, have all these like adventures and do all this stuff. So it's almost like he had to stop caring. Fear. And he brings that up right away. He said, I, I, he's yelling at his boss. After after he figures out that he's going to die, he goes back to the office to to carry on with his day. And he's been gone and the guy's giving him a really hard time. And Tom Hanks kind of loses it. And he says, I just kept asking myself, like, what's kept me here? And he's getting, like, more and more, like, amped up. And that then monologue's he says, great, And yeah. then he says, fear. Yeah. And then, like, he becomes fearless, which is, I think, part of him saying, like, yeah, all right, I'll kill myself. Yeah. It's like the ultimate form of like letting go. Letting go. But then he But that makes me think of like the whole Buddha thing where it's just like yeah. this is all nothing. Yeah. Like we're we're um we're supposed to uh reach a certain level of enlightenment and then mm-hmm. we kind of turn into energy. Maybe that is he has reached that that moment. Yeah. So now it's like, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. There's this great line from a Frank O'Hara poem that goes once you're helpless you're free yeah and like i think that that totally is that exactly this movie yeah but geez geez louise yeah it was good i would recommend it i good think you number, gotta see it good number 13 yeah well all right yeah well that's it <laughs> this is episode 13 my name is casey i'm rachel thanks for listening <laughs>